Welcome to Medawaywin. I'm your host, Elijah Buffalo. And yesterday was National Indigenous Veterans Day. And I'd like to honor all the Indigenous warriors who served in the Canadian Armed Forces and the United States Armed Forces here in France and elsewhere. I've been honored to attend on a few occasions the ceremony at Goldstream. And one of the most impactful experiences I have is learning to be an Eagle Staff carrier for the Canadian Armed Forces Eagle Staff. I'm a civilian employee of the Department of National Defense. I'm on leave right now as I pursue my education. But my participation as a public servant in this organization has had a deep impact on who I am. Tom Longboat is a veteran many have heard of, and part of his legacy is as an athlete. I'm reading Janice Forsythe's Reclaiming Tom Longboat, and this book discusses the awards that bear his name and how sport continues to be an assimilative tool of colonialism, something that I've discussed previously on the podcast, and how so much of the state's push for Indigenous inclusion is still focused on an outcome of citizenship and national identity for Indigenous people. With the work that I'm doing, I'm thinking a lot about participation in sport and how to reframe some of the heteropatriarchal behaviors I still engage in as an athlete. And I think that the ongoing personal development that one can find through sport is an area to embrace. uh, And I'll continue to do that as I go through my journey. The podcast today is a joint recording with Sahil Sit, Elder Jerry Oldman over at Teachings in the Air, which uh, is a podcast that I highly recommend. I met Jerry this summer at the Indigenous Public Health Institute, offered through UBC's Center of Excellence in Indigenous Health, where Jerry was our elder. I learned that he also had a podcast, and so I reached out to him to see if he wanted to talk, and he suggested that we record a joint podcast that we could both publish. The theme Jerry presented was Nashmeen, meaning to go for it in a sense. And this is a concept that can be applied everywhere in life. And one thing that Jerry talked about was making the effort to pick up the teachings that you find laid at your feet. And sitting down with him was just that for me. So I hope that you can find something useful from our talk here as well. And with that, I'll get into the podcast. teachings in the air with Jerry Oldman. Oh, I'm so lucky today. You know, I count my blessings every day. Anyway, this season of podcasts are all about strong mind, strong body, strong spirit, strong heart. And it's all about looking and creating a path to our wellness way of life. And remember that wellness means active pursuit 
that you actually go out and look for help if you have confusion in your mind or your body is aching or doesn't feel right or you're feeling depressed because that's around the spirit. And it's a guarantee when we take care of our mind, body, and spirit, we're going to have a good heart. We're going to have compassion for people. We're going to have kindness that just emanates from us. Like the elders that taught me, they, were, they lived a wellness way of life. You know, so the whole series of podcasts is to help myself and to help others to face the current struggles of the day. You know, the COVID, the loneliness, addictions, all of those things that all human beings go through. You know, and it's a, there's a time of uncertainty for all of us. Everybody around the world, that's why they say pandemic. The word pan means all. Endemic is referring to demos, the people. All the people on the planet are in time of uncertainty. We're on a roller coaster ride. So it's so important now that we start to look at the wellness way of life, to actually pursue, to look for to challenge ourselves, to create solutions, look for solutions. You know, we do come from a resilient people. Resilient refers to trauma. If you can recover from trauma quickly, you're a resilient human being. And many of our elders, our traditional elders, were resilient. They got arrested for doing ceremony. They got arrested for not letting their children go to residential school. They faced all these challenges, but they continued to live their way of life. They continued to do the ceremony, to speak the language. And somewhere in the background there, I know that there are those ones that carry the methodologies of developing the body, of helping people have strong bodies. You know that I've listened to elders and they talk to me about training boys that became men, what they call the puberty rites or the vision quest and how they would take them and start to teach them about their responsibility as an adult. And I was thinking this morning and I was coming to this podcast about how they were preparing the youngsters to be warriors. Because a warrior is someone that's brave and fearless. And it's not about aggression, I believe, in indigenous ways of thinking. Warrior is not about aggression. It's about protection. It's about looking after. It's about developing people. So that's the people I come from as Statlium people, because I'm Statlium, from a small community called Chilath. And my uncles were my trainers. They were my sports psychologists. You know, and my dad, 
and other elders in the community. They were supportive of me and they would push me. I remember one elder and I built my first sweat lodge, just a small little lodge for myself, my treatment center, because I was coming off alcohol and drugs. And I was in my lodge and I hear someone banging on a tree outside my lodge. So I finished my round and I opened the door and I can go shachum, go bath in the creek. And he's standing there and he's looking at me. He says, oh, he says, you're training yourself. He says, that's good. I come up here to encourage you and let you know it's okay. And also to let you know, don't run away from anything. Don't run away in your sweat lodge there, in Kalza, in my language, a place to look at yourself. He says, you may hear things, see things. Don't be afraid. There are probably messengers coming to you to teach you. Or maybe you're lucky and they have a gift for you. So in a way, and I was thinking about it, those were my sports psychologists. Because psychology is about human behavior. They were encouraging me, you know, to continue to to train myself. And they were happy that I was doing it. You know, they laid teachings at my feet on how to train this body of mine, how to keep it strong how to condition. As, as I was coming to this podcast, I was thinking about the muscles in the human body. So I looked it up, and they say there's over 1,600 muscles in the human body. You know, our toes, our fingers, you know, <laughs> around our mouth, our eyes, because we can smile, we can speak. Our heart works so hard just to keep us alive, that muscle. And I thought our, our people knew about these muscles. And they knew that every muscle needed to be conditioned to be trained, to be kept strong. Because when they tell me to run, they would tell me how to breathe. For a while I ran with water in my mouth so I'd breathe through my nostrils. They get me to carry rocks in my hands and tell me to squeeze them as I'm running to develop the muscles in my fingers. Get, uh, they'd say, carry weight or heavy rock when you're running up a steep hill to develop my shoulders, you know, to develop all my muscles. It just wasn't, it was a whole body experience. And that's what I love about indigenous methodologies. So this podcast is called Nashmin. In my language, it means go for it. Go for it, you know, go for being healthy, go for the wellness way of life, go find the teachers. Each elder might have a little nugget of information for you, how to develop yourself. So I was sharing about how lucky I am. You know, I get to meet with different people, different human beings, indigenous human beings from all over the country. I've been blessed that way. I've been to Labrador, to the, you know, looking over the Atlantic Ocean. 
and I know England across there in France. And I sat on the west coast of Vancouver Island, a place called Pebble Beach. And I knew across the water, Japan was over there somewhere. <laughs> you know, so I've been all over. And I get to meet people from many nations. And they all taught me, right from the Eno, the Inuit, and Labrador, the Maliseet, you know, the people on the East Coast, the Mi'kmaq, right across the land, generous people. So we're all lucky today that come to teachings in the air. I have a guest with me, a young man, and I seen him at a training course at UBC, and he got in touch with me. And I'm always so happy to meet, I call all young indigenous men my nephews. When they're looking at our way of life, they become my nephew. You know, this is an indigenous thing. Some indigenous people say we're all cousins. <laughs> you know, hey, cousins, you know, our brothers. So I have a nephew with me. His name's Elijah Buffalo. And it's the very first time that Teachings in the Air is going to share the podcast with Elijah, who has his own podcast called, I hope I say it right, Elijah, Metawaywin, a, a podcast about sports, health, and wellness in the indigenous culture and human in communities. And I was so happy to see, and I listened to his podcast, because he's spreading teachings in the air too about solutions. Not so much about problems, but what you can do. So I'd just like to ask you, Elijah, to introduce yourself to the audience of Teachings in the Air. Tell us about yourself since you're a little boy till today and however long you want to do that. Then we're going to talk about the topic, Nashmeen. Go for it. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Uh and I'm living in France with my partner, my two stepchildren, and my dachshund, Winston. And yeah, we met uh, just a couple months ago at the UBC course. And, uh, you know, we found out that uh, you had a podcast as well and listened to it. And uh, I was just happy to to hear that it was, it was about a similar topic, uh, health and wellness. And yeah, so I was like super excited to reach out and yeah, I'm just uh, really glad that we can come together today and uh, talk about these issues, which is great. And, you know, when I first started this podcast, it was uh, a result of me wanting to, to speak more and also as a result of a lot of things that were going on in the media with, uh, you know, settler society really finding out more things about residential school and, you know, a lot of the systemic racism that's talked about in institutions. And I started to think about my own journey and experiences with racism and, 
reflecting back and, uh, you know, some of these first instances that I experienced were in sport. And so I thought about uh, how being in sports for, you know, most of my life uh, had such an impact on me. And I wanted to, to look into that and, and also thinking about, uh, you know, the systemic racism that athletes go through. And yeah, so when I started this journey, I thought a lot about that from uh, sort of like a reactionary stance, but then I thought more about like what you said a couple minutes ago about, you know, focusing on solutions and focusing on the good and not always the bad. And that's when I started to think that, yeah, like it would be great to be able to talk to people and to share their story and to share a little bit about my story about uh, how sports is, uh, you know, really vital to, to us as individuals and as well as communities as indigenous people. And yeah, I was born in Edmonton and I lived there for several years. So I was about eight and then I moved to Nanaimo and uh, spent the winters in the school year rather in Nanaimo and then the summers and Christmas back in Muskogee with my dad and uh, did that until basically school was over. And then I went to VIU. Malaspina University College, it was called at the time. And, uh, you know, we had an elder in residence there called Shemit, Uncle Ray Peter. And uh, he went to Kamloops Indian Residential School as well. And so when we were meeting at the UBC course in the summer, um, he really reminded me a lot of uh, the, the ways that he taught. And it was just like uh, really comforting to, to hear your teachings and I just wanted to share that with you. And, you know, in meeting with him, we, he and I would talk about uh, sports and training and he would give me tips and um, yeah, it's just like examples like that of how, how sports was used as, as a, as a strategy for teaching at all levels, even in university. And um, it just really, really came through with the, uh, with uh, getting to know him and you listened to my podcast, uh, you said, and uh, you know, I've been listening to quite a few of your episodes as well. And just like, uh, you know, just fe feeling this really deep connection to a lot of the things that you share about uh, your own training growing up, uh, you know, especially like the, the drink in the water thing. Like I too uh, read some book a long time ago about that, the hope you were, were doing that. And I, I always thought that was like so incredible as well. And then as well as my dad was uh, a runner and uh, I just think it's like so funny, the thing about like the rocks, like he used to always run with the, the two rocks in his hands as well. And so, you know, it's just like stories like that really uh, help you feel like you're on the right path in life when, when you hear them. And so, yeah, I mean, um, I've got a lot of stories about uh, the different sports that I was in. Uh, perhaps we can, we can get to those, but uh, yeah, I think that's, um, I guess I will share the sport that I'm, that I do now is uh, road cycling and that I'm really passionate about and uh, I train for it and I race in that sport and, I've, you know, I've won some uh, 
I won the Yukon Territorial Championships a few times and uh, came pretty close to winning the BC Provincial Championships. And uh, I just really enjoy racing and training and and uh, being in that community. And um, yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. You know, and I, when you mentioned that you're a teacher, I know that man and listen to him and would consider him one of my elders, <laughs> you know? So where there's so much commonalities and it is a small world, you know? And, um, and I was listening to you and I thinking about my own journey. You know, I grew up with, uh, when I was a teenager with insecurities, you know, because of the way, because of the experience of Kamloops. But my, um, my uncles, it seemed like a solution to them, to everything, to start everything for training was running and running early in the morning. That's what they, my instructions were. You get up, this does it, Kaquila, this is a breaking day. So I started doing that. And I realized part of that was to develop my willpower. You know, because I, I I'd beat myself up. I'd want to quit drinking and I couldn't seem to quit drinking. <laughs> you know, and I call myself a loser. You can't even quit drinking and stuff, beat myself up. So when my uncle said, you know how you go out and run? At the break of day, Coquilla, to break the day. So I started doing that. And it started to develop my willpower my strength of my mind. And I start, I remember I would make up excuses not to go out on the road. So I, I remember I put my running shoes beside my bed, my shorts, and the t-shirt I used in those days for running, and my headband. So when my feet would get out of bed, the first thing I would touch are my sneakers. So I'd automatically put them on, then out the door I go, running. Then all of a sudden, I start to see life. Because when you're running and it's still not fully light yet, it's like you can see shadows. So I'm watching where I'm running, because I don't want to fall down. I come from a mountainous part of the country. So I run. And I realize I'm not thinking about my problems, I'm thinking about running. It seems, you know, and I mentioned that at my uncle's, if I was going to do anything, they'd say run. If I'm going to go to stick game, you know, gambling, run. <laughs> you know, everything was run. You know, but they start adding to it after, like medicines. You drink this to clear your lungs. Alder bark, make tea out of it, drink it, keep your lungs clear. You know, so they start to share the medicines. And it's just so amazing to me the knowledge that they carried. For instance, knowing that your lungs must be clear for breathing, because oxygen, your body needs it, it feeds a fire of life that oxygen. So they'd 
say, clean your lungs. Then my uncle would tell me to make tea out of organ grape roots. He says, clean your blood. So <laughs> they're teaching me these things, and I never questioned it. You know, and then one day one of my uncles says, okay, you got to clean your colon, your colon and your bowels. So they made this uh, really strong medicine for me. This flushed out my whole system. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and I think about how terrible it tasted, but how effective it was. So the steps were first off to have cleanliness inside your body, your lungs, your stomach, your blood. So they started to teach that. And then your skin. They would tell me to scrub my body when I bath in the lake. First off with fir boughs and cedar boughs, then for your muscles, hemlock boughs, you know, branches of hemlock. From your elbow to the tip of your fingers, you break it off and you go in the water and you scrub your body with those. And the substance from that tree goes into your system through the skin. So to know that our people knew this was amazing to me. Because I never doubted them. And I think that come from my grandmother. Because I never doubted my granny ever. What she told me, okay, mom. In my mind, I would question it. I'd say, my mom, you're superstitious. <laughs> you know, as a young, silly young guy. But she knew what she was talking about from being told by her elders that had never seen Europeans but carried the knowledge. So with my own journey, Elijah, I had to develop my willpower because I beat myself up a lot. You know, stupid Indian, lazy Indian, drunken Indian, you know, the colonial narrative that would make me into a victim. But when I started training, you know, and I, I got into the individual sport of running, this long distance, that's what I was doing. And uh, to hear you talk about your cycling, you know, I have mountain biked in my life and I, and I liked the mountain bike. I bought myself a mountain bike, and I would actually bicycle in the mountains, you know. And um, it's a totally different strength conditioning because I could feel it in my legs, you know, that push when you're going up a hill, you know, that um, I didn't get very good at it because I had 18 gears or something, and I get them mixed up and stuff, you know. But when I hear you talk about biking, I'd like to know how you got into that and what are the benefits for you? Yeah, I mean, when you, when you talk about bikes, it is like a, it can be a barrier for people to get into the sport for sure. And... I'd been out of sports for several years when I got into to cycling because uh, I had quit hockey when I was 17 and some other, I was in boxing at the time as well. And 
that, uh, you know, some things happen and uh, basically just walked away from, from sports and um, didn't do anything. And it was really out of shape. And uh, one day my friend said that he had a bike that, that they needed to get rid of because they were moving. And they asked if I wanted it. And I said, no, I'm good. And then I came home from work one day and I saw that they had dumped the bike in my backyard and I was a little annoyed. I was like, oh man, like, what am I going to do with this bike? And it just sat there for a while. And I rode it once to my friend's house and then it stayed at his house for a while. And then he moved and the bike was at his house then at his new place. And then one day we were just hanging out and, uh, just popped in my mind that, uh, that I could beat him in a race from my house or from his house to my house. And we lived uh, along the train tracks. Uh, he lived in this neighborhood called Harewood and I lived in downtown Nanaimo. So it's kind of separated uh, by this one little area and the, the train tracks kind of like snake through there. And so my plan was to take the train tracks, the little trail that people walk on and uh, he would have to drive through the neighborhood. So we set off and, uh, I got on the train tracks and as soon as I, I hit some speed, my baseball hat flew off and, uh, like I wore a hat like every day and I didn't for a moment even stop to think about going back to get it. I just kept going to my house. And by the time I got to my place, he was like, you know, like chilling up against his truck, like all nonchalant, but like I know him, he was pretty competitive too. He probably was just like ripping through the streets, like super fast. Uh, so I didn't win the race, but it just like ignited this, uh, this drive in me and, um, it wasn't right away, but probably like a couple of days later, cause I think my legs were like pretty, like felt like jelly, even though it was only a couple of kilometers. Uh, <laughs> but shortly thereafter, I started riding the bike as much as I could and started off with, uh, doing like a 10 kilometer bike ride. And I thought that was long. And then I remember doing the 20 kilometer bike ride. And thinking that was like, you know, super far and I just slowly got, got into it. And then, um, eventually, uh, actually I had ran into an old teacher at the, the swimming pool one day. And, uh, my friend and I had been going to the gym and early in the mornings before work. And he asked us like, what were we? doing training for a triathlon and they, I just kind of was just like oh you know that's not a bad idea <laughs> I already have the bike and yeah. uh, so I registered for a triathlon trained for it kind of just like you know went in pretty blind like of course I could swim but you know I didn't I didn't have the, the technique down at all like you know swimming with your face in the water and like coming out with every breath I didn't have that so yeah it was uh, quite quite the learning experience and came out of that and I just uh, just really developed that passion for for cycling and for racing and I just uh, started looking up what other races there were and eventually um, just did did all the racing that I could and of course you know going to these events and being the only indigenous person there is can be pretty pretty intimidating but uh I, it was, it was a bit of a, you know, part of my development, uh, you know, 
personally, uh, you know, to go through that challenge was, uh, you know, I really grew from it a lot. And yeah, so that's how I, I got into cycling. And, you know, it was also, I was uh, a young man at the time and I had a pretty, you know, stuck in sort of like that masculine way of thinking as well. So it was pretty hard to start to wear like the skin tight, uh, <laughs> the spandex, the Lycra. I think it was actually a couple of years before I finally, you know, got a, a pair of those shorts. And uh, now, like, I don't even think twice. It's like, I just, I've got, you know, dozens of pairs of these things and it's just like my part of my regalia almost now you know I, lo I love to put the stuff on you know i have the same because I, I done biking like i say in mountain biking so i bought the shorts the gloves you know without the fingers padded on the palms you know on the bike helmet and stuff you know <laughs> and i too thought about my image but the comfort of it you know, the padded shorts really made a difference with those tiny seats. And I wonder how come the seats are so tiny, you know, but on a bike that I had. But that, you know, I went through a similar with long distance running. You know, I, I was, I said, yeah, one of my friends asked me to go to a 10K run. And I was in, must have been 49, 50 years old then. I said, yeah, I can do that because it was a team thing for a 10K run at um, Pacific Spirit Park in Vancouver. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll run with you guys because it's a team from BCIT. So I registered, went up, and got the T-shirt. And But I remember I was going up there to UBC. And I got my wife to stop at Starbucks, at a grande Starbucks, and uh, smoking cigarettes and smoking, oh, yeah. the, smoking cigarettes and drinking his coffee on the way to the run. And I ran the 10K. Because I, I, I've always ran, but never trained up until that point, really, for distance. I'd go for a run. Oh, I'm going for a run, and maybe I go 5K or something. You know, I never measured the distance. But after I finished that run, and I realized that I can do this, but I could feel my lungs. <laughs> so I stopped smoking, and I started running. So I set the goal, I'm going to run 10K, half marathon, marathon. So as soon as I said marathon, I went to the bookstore and bought training manuals for marathon runners and how often to run, how, what distance, rest days. So I started to develop a training system for myself. And I had to do that to, to you know, be able to run 42 kilometers. You know, so the training was the important part. And that's a part that, because I've been off, on and off again all my life. I'd get out of shape, you know, and it seemed to take longer to get into shape and not very long to get out of shape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and I, you know, I pretty, I'm pretty consistent now. You know, i got good flexibility. I can still move pretty good for my age. 
But as I was listening and we're talking here, the first step for me was to accept my body. You know, being a guy and all of those things, right? To accept my body mm-hmm. the way it is. You know, not to be six-pack, all of that stuff, you know, <laughs> that's, that people put out into the world, but to accept my body the way it is. I'm a, a guy from the mountains, so we're sort of slim, small-boned people because we're going up mountains all the time, steep mountains, you know. And um, But the second part was to honor my body and start to think about what I put in my body what I do to my body, you know? So those were big steps for me, important steps to be where I am today because I consider myself to be healthy today. And the word health is referring to mind, body, and spirit. But to achieve that, first accept my body. In um, 1976 and 77, I had stomach ulcers. And they used to call it the worry sickness, <laughs> you know. And um, my teacher told me to talk to my body. He says, tell your tummy you're sorry for what's going on there, because I had stomach ulcers. So I, I took his advice, and I talked to my tummy. He says, I'm sorry, tummy, for what's going on there. I'll do what I can. So I went to the doctor, changed my diet, you know, and worked on getting rid of the stomach ulcer. But to do that, I had to accept that it was my fault, what was going on there, and that I had to honor my body. And that's when I got into fasting, juice fasting, you know, to cleanse my body. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the longest juice fast I went in was 10 days because uh, I wanted to purify my body. I wanted to be a pure human being. <laughs> you know, that was the goal I had. You know, so I started to learn about my body. And I think that's one of the problems today is people don't understand their own body. For instance, that there's over six, 600 muscles in our body. And there's twin muscles. There's a left hand muscle for the little finger, right hand, you know, all these muscles. And we get them to work together to be strong. And I learned that in long distance running. First off, you have to build your strength, then your endurance, then think about speed after that. You have to go in that order. So that's what I started to follow. But one of the things you said was interesting to me was that you were a boxer. I used to have a boxing club mm-hmm. and young men to be boxers as part of my addictions program. You know, get the young guys quit drinking and doing drugs. Mm-hmm. And it, it was successful for the ones that came. I remember one of them after six months, he was saying, he said, Jerry, I used to think I was tough. But after being with you for six months, he says, now I can say I'm strong. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't tough. <laughs> you know. In fact, I was out of shape. 
I was acting tough, you know, to see them because we were developing their muscles from their head to their feet and boxing. Like develop their neck muscles, for instance, so they can absorb a blow, how to hold their chin. Then I took karate and I learned more about the body, about what it can do and what it cannot do. But that's what got me out of depression was physical movement. Because I was prone to depression because of what happened at the residential school. So I, as I got more involved in these, I guess they're individual sports, karate, running, biking. You know, I do team sports like fastball and soccer, volleyball, and loved competition, you know. So what's been your big, mo what's, I guess, your biggest uh, takeaway? Because you were involved in all kinds of sports. What was it doing for you? Yeah, I think there's just so much, like you, you mentioned, the competitive aspect. Because, uh, yeah, I played hockey, baseball, well, softball, actually. Yeah. And... Um, just trying to think of what else. I think those are like the like the real organized ones. And then you know, I just played in all manner of sports as well, just trying them, trying them all out. Tennis, loved tennis for a while. <laughs> and uh, so I think like there, for sure, early on, uh, there was a there was that uh, challenge aspect of you know of overcoming some, your opponent in a way mm -hmm. yeah. but in this uh in this healthy way and this way that wasn't really you know truly a, that didn't really have aggression at the heart of it it's like that the the sporting aspect of it but then also the health at the health and wellness part of it really spurred me on as well because i didn't really understand type two diabetes for a long time. And I just knew that, uh, my dad had diabetes and my mushroom and cookum had diabetes and they died from complications related to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just hear that, that, uh, diabetes is rampant in our communities. And so I just kind of thought, Oh, like, am I going to get diabetes? Like, or when am I going to get diabetes? Um, so I just thought it was like maybe something that is just going to happen. Uh, but I didn't understand that, you know, there's ways to avoid it and by being maintaining your health and, and fitness and uh, watching what you put into your body. And yeah, so for a long time, I think that uh, there was an aspect of sort of running away from diabetes that, uh, that I thought about. Cause I remember, at times, you know, getting out of shape and then being like, Oh, I got to get, you know, got to get fit again. And I start running and, um, the, what would be motivating was like, okay, like, you know, I want to, I want to be healthy and I don't want to get diabetes. So, and that was uh, a big reason for, for a long time. And I'm just thinking about what you were saying about, uh, you know, being mindful of what we put in our bodies 
as well and taking that responsibility and yeah i think just just knowing like you know getting back into sports when i did it was it was uh, a big part of it was because i wanted to to you know take ownership of of my body and and my health so that's yeah i'd say that's what uh that's what was motivating and then now i think it's just uh you know i've learned quite a bit about the way that metabolism works and the way that diabetes works and uh so i i know for myself that uh you know as long as i do certain things that uh, i can avoid getting diabetes and so that's uh that's good to know like that that there are things that we can do to avoid this and what motivates me now is just to to continue my personal development as an athlete as far as i can go like i know i'm not going to become a professional or anything like that at, at my age but uh i know that i can still reach personal bests and still win races and you know still do cool races that uh you know develop and make these memories of the events and so those are the things that uh, motivate me now yeah. you know the competitive part i think we all carry and a lot of people will deny it you know but we want to push ourselves and see how good we can be because uh, in my marathons when i ran marathon i knew i wasn't gonna like <laughs> i was in barcelona running a marathon and the Kenyans and Ethiopians were there. And you see them. They're lapping us. And they're running like they're running a sprint. <laughs> you know? And I'm mm -hmm. just in awe of these incredible athletes. But I would run. So I would think about my age group. Where am I going to place in my age group? You know, because after my 50s, I started doing long distance. I remember I finished um, the BMO in Vancouver, the Vancouver Marathon. <laughs> and I looked at the sheet, you know, because they have the results after. My head went down. My wife said, what's the matter? I said, look where I come in with my age group. And she says, you're in the top 50. You know, there are thousands of runners. Mm -hmm. I said, no. And she says, the top 50 of your age group. I says, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes we can take things a little overboard or, you know, be realistic. Just the very fact that I ran over 50,000 steps, because that's how many steps in a marathon, that I could do that. You know, and that I, and I'm okay. Mm-hmm to celebrate that. But I get the feeling. I remember the first um, big 10K run in Vancouver, 50,000 runners. It's just amazing, the Vancouver Sun Run, to stand amidst all those runners. And we all fundraise for something. And we're all together. And it was 
an incredible feeling for me to be amidst, like you're saying, I wouldn't see that many indigenous runners. At marathons and 10Ks, there's getting to be way more now. And I'd feel like the only one. But to feel that massive energy moving together was incredible. Mm. All ages, all sizes, all kinds of people, you know? Yeah. It is just amazing. You know, it's a wonderful experience. I'd suggest people give it a try. Sign yeah. up or something. Because that's what gets you training, too. Because once mm -hmm. I made a public statement, I'm going to run a marathon, I realized I have to train to make it. And I would announce wherever I'm going, hey, I'm running a marathon. And I was fundraising for cancer and diabetes. So people would sponsor me. So much a mile or something, you know, and fundraise. But that's a part that, um, you know, when we talk about methods for training, the first part was to first accept our body, then honor it, respect that body, love that body. From there, what you do, like what you're doing now, is your way of life. You bike, you do other things. That's a way of life, of moving in life. And that's what I want to promote on these podcasts, a wellness way of life for all of us. Because when I was thinking, reflecting about our people before, physically strong because they were getting all their own food with their own two hands. You know, they were hunting, fishing, picking berries, tanning hides, you know, make the clothing. They were doing it all. They were fit. And it wasn't a competition, it was life. It was to live a good life. <clears throat> and it seems we have opportunities now because we don't have to cut wood anymore, pack water. We just turn a dial. <laughs> you know, it gets warm in the house. So it seems to me we'd have more opportunity now to train, to get out there, because we don't have to worry about hunting the moose for this year's supply of meat or catching hundreds of salmon for the winter. People still do that, and I'm glad they do. You know, but what are we going to train for now? And I think it's for mental health today. That if we get our body breathing deep from exerting ourselves, when you're running or you're biking or you're moving your body, playing tennis or table tennis, whatever it is, your muscles in your lungs start to move. Your heart rate goes up. You're, you start to sweat, your glands open up, you know, and then there's movement. And that's good for mental health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think the, like, the mental health can really be expanded to, like, the spiritual health as well. 
And when we think about metabolic syndrome and diabetes and obesity and the things that we see affecting our people a lot, we see the root cause of uh, intergenerational trauma and the residential school and things like that. And, you know, people that have that a lot of worry in their life and, uh, you know, living with uh, all that stress and excess of cortisol. And, you know, that can really be uh, generalized as, uh, you know, had a mental health issue, but it's a whole body issue as well, because that's, you know, taking place in the, in your uh, endocrine system and all that. And with exercise, that's like the way to, to begin to treat it. And with training and finding something that, uh, that you can do to, to get out and move is, is a way to, yeah, to have an outcome that is positive mental health. And, and I think that's uh, something that we, sh we should be talking about more often as well, because so many times someone has diabetes and they just, they just get, uh, you know, metformin or insulin. And maybe the doctor says, Oh, you should, get a little exercise and stop eating carbohydrates, but there's, there's not a, enough effort, I think, into, you know, our ways that we know of being out on the land and getting healthy that way, that uh, even if we can't get salmon and get the foods that we once did, like you said, we, we do have time to, that we can focus on things like training and you know that it can be expanded to not be looked at just as training but as uh just being being healthy exactly you know what you're saying i've been trying to find words for that because when i talk to people about training they seem to think about rec about sports you know, to be a good athlete. No, it's about being a good human and giving your body a gift by moving. And it doesn't have to be running. You can power walk, speed walk, you know, do things to challenge your body. Seems very few people challenge your body today. You know, the, we have a lot of um, process addictions, watching TV, um, computers, iPads, phones, you know, we get addicted to that. That's a substance, a process addiction, something we do over and over again. So, but to find a way to enjoy moving your body, just for the sake of stopping diabetes or arthritis, because some of those things are going to come, but you can handle it. You can still have a quality life. If you exercise, go out and move. Like I tell people, movement is medicine. For your body, mm -hmm. for your mind, for your spirit, for your heart, if you move. One of my friends got cancer, yeah, lymphoma, lymphomic cancer. One of the things he done 
he started going consistently was go out dancing because it's positive movement and being with people and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's okay today. I don't. Th- he done a lot of things, but that was one of the things he was doing: go out dancing. Mm-hmm. You know, move the body in rhythm and with people and enjoy yourself. You know, so that's one of the things that we can find a way to enjoy our bodies moving might be the key. Um, one of the methods that I looked at was thinking I was looking for teachers first. Like you're a role model. You're a teacher now. You're talking on podcasts about cycling, about talking to your dad, you know, all of these methods. And then we must listen to the teachers when they tell us what to do. And um, use the medicines. Because med- a lot of the medicines are for prevention. When I think of sweetgrass, it's a medicine. Like I'd late sweetgrass first thing in the morning. And it goes into my system, and it smells so good. I call it kindness medicine. And part of it is to be kind to myself and the people in the house and people I talk to. So I use the medicines, find out what they're for, and use them consistently. Because all the medicines, is not all pills and things like that, you know, that are going to help you. And to create a circle. And that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Do you have a circle of bike riders, cyclists, or are you just independent? No, I, well, I'm on a team of, uh, of riders that are located in Victoria. And uh, yeah, so I'm on a master's team because, you know, once you get to a certain age, you, yeah, you get yeah. to, to ride with all the old, the old guys. <laughs> yeah. And we had our own categories to compete in, like you were yeah. mentioning about the age group there and running. Yeah. So, yeah, I have a, a team that I'm a part of. And uh, it took a, you know, a number of years to, to find a team that, uh, that I fit into. And uh, so I was... Uh, you know, a lone wolf there in the cycling game for many years. Um, and so I was missing that teamwork aspect or, and just that circle of belonging. And once I got down with this team, uh, it was just great to show up to races and, you know, you see your buddies there and you go and chat with them and, you know, your, your nerves get calm before the, the start and yeah so it's great and on my i do uh virtual racing which is uh you know relatively new within the last several years there are programs that you hook your bike up to and you have a device on your bike that measures power that uh, makes the your your power output realistic within the the game and it's really competitive and uh, just last year, a team reached out to me and uh, asked me to join them for this race series. And this was a, like a really high level on on the game. And uh, yeah, it was just pretty awesome to be in some of these races and 
you know, they use these uh, communication apps like Discord within the race. And there's, uh, you know, the one guy saw me falling off the back, like getting dropped. And he was like, started to uh, tell me to like, you know, just dig deep. And, and I did it and I like remained in the race. And yeah, so it was like, you know, I, being a bit of, uh, it can be a challenge to be an individual all the time. And, you know, I can get a little comfortable in those spaces of just being, you know, out on my own. Uh, So it was good to, to, to get some teammates like that and to, to really expand my understanding of sports and community that way. So I do have, uh, um, yeah, I do have that circle of, of people in the, in the cycling world. Um, yeah, but there's, I do still prefer to ride on my own. Yeah. Yeah. I do my, I do all my training by myself. Yeah. yeah. Me too. As, as running, but when you get with a group, then you're sort of a, become a group thing. You know, and it's if you find a good group, it's not really competition. It's about building each other up. So I wanted, uh, you know, as uh, methods was to create a group, find like-minded people. Let's say if you just walk, and walking is wonderful. They say it's the safest exercise. Like you can do walking poles, you can push yourself, get your heart rate up. So find a group to walk with or to play ping pong with whatever it is. Because then you, they can, you help each other to keep going. They invite you to these events and you go as a group. And that's a good feeling. It's like belonging to a team. So that's one of the things I'd like to suggest to people that are listening out there. Start a little group, even if it's you get a buddy for walking with or whatever you're going to do. Let's say some people do horseback riding because that's good exercise too. I remember I'd go back from a residential school and go home, and I'm at the res for ten months. I go back, and my dad had horses. The first couple of days of riding horseback, I can really feel my abdomen, my stomach muscles, just from riding horseback, <laughs> you know, and of course my legs from gripping the the horse. And I remember that, you know, everything we do, we have to use our muscles. So we must take care of them, protect them, feed them the right food, get them massaged once in a while. That's one of the big gifts I found from running. Like I'd have massage therapists. You know, see them after a big run. They loosen up my calves and stuff, you know, and get me back. They used to say I was crazy for running a marathon. Why you do that? Why are you hurting your body? <laughs> you know, but I guess in a way, some people would call it an addiction. But it is helping me in my life. Yeah. With my trauma memories and stuff like that. It was the movement was medicine or the mental health part of my life. And the benefits were my physical body. You know, I had strength. 
so I can have endurance during the day. I can do things all day long, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, so Elijah, you know, we come to the time now. I really want to thank you for taking time out of your life in Paris, France. I was over there and I went to the Eiffel Tower and I went to nice different places, you know, and enjoyed myself over there. You know, there's good human beings everywhere you go. But, you know, like you mentioned a bit about some of the challenges our people go through, obesity, diabetes, uh, depression. But that's with all societies, not just ours. But if you're going to give some advice to some young men out there about their bodies and about their life, what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, I think about that a lot. And, you know, I did some volunteer work with this uh, mobile health clinic in Victoria. And like you said, you know, these problems aren't just uh, strictly for Indigenous people. Um, but I was uh, intrigued or surprised that there were so many young men, you know, at, uh, at my age, still kind of young, late 30s, that, um, that were accessing the, the clinic. And it seemed to be like most of the people that came there were, were people around, were men around my age. And, um, you know, I just started thinking about people like my brothers who struggle with their health and, you know, it can be a challenge to, to offer advice or to, to do, to do anything anything to try to help them. But what I think about lately is that, uh, you know, your health is important and you are important and your health is important to your mind, your body and your spirit and your heart and to your family and your community. And to who you are as an indigenous person. And I think about what my great grandfather said in that, uh, you know, it's only us as indigenous people that can break the treaty that we have. So I think about the, the fact that we have uh, health and medicine built into our treaty six. And I think about, uh, That, you know, the, the crown and the settlers, they, they can do or not do whatever in regards to healthcare and medicine. But it does, you know, come to us that we have that responsibility to maintain our health so that we can honor that treaty as well. Because like my great-grandfather said, it's incumbent on us and our health 
to be maintained so that that treaty is honored. And so I think, you know, you have to keep that in mind when you think about health and find something that you like to do. And if you don't like sports, because I know it's not for everybody, but uh, find something that you can do. And that can be a challenge. I'm, you know, a lot of the, the research I'm doing lately, I'm, I'm considering how ableism is, is taken into account in this. And not everybody has the physical, mental, spiritual capabilities to, to do sports. But yeah, I think just, you know, find something that you, you can do and, and, um, and, you know, just, just try to commit to, to doing it with, with that in mind of, of maintaining your, your health for not only yourself, but uh, for the community, your family, the land. And yeah, because I know that, uh, you know, I'm thinking about uh, trying to do something that you don't like. And it's like you're, you know, with work too, you know, you, you don't always get to do a job that you, you love to do. And I think back to some of the jobs that I've done in my life and, you know, like working at a fish plant and yeah, working in restaurants. But uh, my friend Ivan Eagletail told me once, you know, like doing those kind of jobs, it uh, provides good energy for you and, and for the people that benefit from that work that you do in like a karmic fashion. And because if you're doing something like that, you're helping to feed people and that just provides good energy for, for all the people involved. And so if you think about that work aspect of training and doing work on your, your health and fitness, it's a, uh, it's a good way to, to look at it. I think. <laughs> it's a beautiful way to look at it. Oh my gosh. You know, and um... I'm thinking about my first paying job as a water boy on the railroad. I was 17 years old. Oh, yeah. And they used to have water boys because in the summertime, it gets really hot, you know, on the railroad. Yeah. So I went to apply for a job, and they said, oh, yeah, we got a job for you. And they gave me a bucket with a dipper and a bag of salt pills. And I'd walk up and down the line, and I'd hear some of them, and, hey, water boy. I'd go running over there with a bucket of water and, they drink water, and I give offer them a salt pill. But I think I was getting um, might have been dollar ninety nine point nine an hour, ten hours a day, being a water boy, being of service to those men. Mm-hmm. That we all benefit from the railroad. I know there's a lot of harm done, but what your what's his name Eagle Tail told you? Yeah, Ivan. Yeah, that's wonderful. Those are wonderful words, you know. And um, our people have such wonderful minds. And I believe it's in our DNA. You know, and I'd hear like what he was saying. And different messages, you know, from our people. Be careful and sincere with your words. Believe what you're saying. Don't play with language. When you speak, believe it, live it, be alive, you know, and um, look 
or the goodness. Society in some ways is trained to look for weakness and mistakes, not about the goodness. I was thinking about you as you're speaking. I'd love to see you biking in a competition. I'd say, there, he's one of ours. That's Elijah, man. <laughs> you know what I was imagining that. You know, because it's a good feeling to see our people involved, being part of. We have a right to. I hear some people say we're in a colonial state. I know there's still some colonial practices in place, but I don't believe we're in a colonial state. If we were, you would not be able to r ride in competitions at a high level, like you were in the Yukon. You can do it, and you can speak your language. You can say your words. You know, so my message to the people is the first step is to forgive yourself, to apologize to yourself, or the harm you may have done to your body. And tell your body you're going to find a way to bring gifts to your own body. Whether it's movement or medicine, hearing aids, whatever you need. You know, Nashween, go for it, go get it. And to live the beauty way of life. Create beauty around you. And to remember, we're all role models. There's somebody watching us, especially us adults, and it's the children. So mm -hmm. when you see Elijah Buffalo bicycling with his biking clothes on, the goggles, everything, you'll say, hey, I can do that. There'll be no stigma anymore. Stigma Stigma means a stain. It's dirtied. Mm. There's no stigma about us being part of that and doing good at it. We've had, I think there's the highest number of indigenous people in winning gold medals in the Olympics, this past Olympics. You know, when I think about my role models around sports and recreation, I think of... Um, Thorpe, Jim Thorpe. Yeah. Tom Longboat, Billy Mills, Sonny Sixkiller playing football in Washington State University are people that rose up. Said, we can mm -hmm. do this. We can do this. You know, and the hockey players. You know, that young bear that plays professional hockey. You know, so we can go there, but the main thing is to take care of what you have and to do what's good for you. And maybe our youngsters will do what some of us dreamed of. I dreamed of winning marathon races. But now that I talk about taking care of the body, Maybe youngsters will listen, and they can do it, which would be great. So, Elijah, I opened the show welcoming people to t teachings in the air. 
I'd like you to close the show by saying, hey, this is Elijah, however you do that from Meta, what is it again? Yeah, Metawaywin. Metawaywin, yeah. You want to close it off? I thank you, but then you can thank me. And... All right. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's just been uh, an honor to talk with you today, Jerry. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of things we talked about really highlight the fact that uh, sports, just like learning and education, it's part of a lifelong process. And it's important to to always know that uh, that you should be involved in that uh, for yourself and for your community as well. And that uh, just because you get to a certain age doesn't mean you stop learning or you stop working out. And so I'm hoping that, uh, you know, maybe someone out there will hear this and want to get into cycling. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm just, uh, thankful that we were able to chat today and yeah and the fact that uh you know sports is is becoming recognized as uh it, its importance is getting recognized again in our communities uh is such a great thing to see and i think that uh um i think we'll see such great improvements in in the coming years with that so yeah with that i think that's uh that's uh that was a good talk okay thank you elijah and i'd just like to add i'd like to thank all of the coaches in our communities you know because they're there and i was one of them at one time we take mm -hmm. the kids out track and field fastball soccer there's people that train children on barrel racing and, uh, you know, where they do a rodeo and stuff. I'd just like to thank all those coaches, hockey coaches, fastball, cycling, whatever, weightlifting, boxing. Thank them. Mm -hmm. And to, you know, because I heard a lot of them and there were a lot of good people saying it's not all about winning. It's about doing our best. I would hear some coaches talk like that to their youth. And I talk to teenagers like that. We're going to win a friend today. Even if we don't win the race, we're going to win our friend. So I'd just like to thank you again, Elijah Buffalo. And one day I'd like to meet you or see you in, um, doing biking. Yep. It would be a thrill for me to see that. And I just want to thank you for coming to the show. And um, 